Hi, I'm Kian. Hi, I'm Ali. And if you're listening to this, then you've probably got too much chlorine in your water because you're listening to us talking about the movie Ghoul School. And this is Off the Wagon Reviews. One, two, three, four. Watching a movie on the most superficial level. Beaten down from my opinions, my heroes and voices of gravel. Statham is the one, Arnie and Reggie. Leslie's naked gun, Sly is cold ready. And I'm gonna blow the bad guys all away. Welcome to the man cave. Don't remove your shoes. If you were grown, you know the score ain't got nothing to lose. Your goal don't appreciate it is montages. Kickboxing to rocket ship or is karate kid. Ali, uh, what what are we talking about this week? Uh, we're looking at a splatter movie. And <laughs> I wanted to be a horror movie. Did you Failed did you just uh, did you just use air quotes with your fingers right there when you said that? Uh, <laughs> how did you know? Uh, the somehow, camera's off. Somehow I just knew. <laughs> we're looking at we're looking at a movie made in 1990. Do you believe though? Do you believe it was made in 1990? It looks older than that. Uh, uh, there's several things about it in the movie that suggest it was made uh, 1990. Yeah, it's not maybe like late 89. I'm going to say that the 80s metal hair and the, the, that sort of thing is, is giving me a very strong kind of 1985 vibe, but that's just me. It, it, it almost is, but there's something that gives us a hint about it later on that's not attached to this movie, yet it still is, and I'll let you know what it is in a bit. <laughs> yeah. it sounds, yes, you told me you've done a little bit of research into this. I, I, think, I think you're going to know more about this than I do, so I'm excited to find out uh, what fruits your research has yielded. I'm glad, really, that I've done all this. I, 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 I've, I've looked too much into this for us and our five listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do shout-outs. We'll do shout-outs later. <laughs> we'll do shout-outs later. Okay, tell us a little Everyone. bit about... Uh, well, tell us uh, a little bit about Ghoul School, Ali. All right, so uh, the, the synopsis, for lack of a better word, uh, for Ghoul School, 1990, directed by Timothy O'Raw. Oh, yeah, Timothy. Yeah, you know the O'Raws up from uh, Belmwood, right? <laughs> he doesn't make movies anymore. I'm glad. If yeah, he's a public teacher in Orange County these days, apparently. Whoa. I know, I don't believe that. You know, there's a couple of more hours online, but the one that I found closest to what this guy might have been. I also note that this movie is an old gore production. It is an old gore production, that's it. Yeah. And it is a, like, a gore spatter movie production, so maybe it was some. Alright, so, this movie, the synopsis is, when two thugs search for some treasure in the school basement... I don't remember there being any treasure. They don't, I mean, this this synopsis I found online because I don't know what they're looking for. But it sure as shit isn't the five dollars the janitor for hitting the safe at the start of the movie. You know? Yeah. Why, do, why does that happen? <laughs> so, when two thugs search for some treasure in the school basement, they unwittingly unleash something that turns the swim team to zombies. Chronic adventures follow for two protagonists, Jeff and Steve, and the band Bloodsucking Ghouls. <laughs> One of any real significance save for two people called Joe Franklin uh, and Jackie the Joke Man Madling. More on that uh, dickhead later. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, the movie just kicks off with these two nonsense 
Wait, 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 wait. The movie does not. The movie does not kick off at all. The movie, the movie hauls its rotting carcass from moment to moment in an opening scene with that fat janitor, like limping yeah. around in his little basement for no reason at all. And then the two yeah. thugs show up, and and they're looking for something that the janitor has hidden. I think we're supposed to believe it's that you know the gas that turns everybody into zombies. No, I don't think so. I read online that they're looking for treasure because they, they reference it later on in the movie, like when we when we take this something from the basement, you'll have enough money to buy your diploma. Yeah, he does say that, doesn't he? Yeah. He also and, and like I say the something about ten bucks or something at the start of the movie. And what the hell, like you know? <laughs> maybe maybe it's a joke. Well, you know, maybe it, yeah. I found myself saying that a lot in this movie, where something would happen and I didn't know why, and then I thought, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe they think that's funny. I I'm not sure. I think that these kind of movies, like these kind of splatter gore movies, tend to, like, so many of them were made because it's cheap to make, and like the, the actors in them, they're not really actors. You know what I mean? They're just yeah, like grab their friends. They they, they read too much. Uh, some horror magazine. Yeah, in uh, fact, doesn't it, sh it shows so much, them like, the two main characters who are like horror nerds are shown reading Fangoria magazine at the start? And Splatterhouse. And Splatterhouse. And then later on, there's a scene where they're like watching. They like one of them has tracked down some, you know, band movie or some difficult to find gore movie, and they're watching it in the AV room in the school. And uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of. Like the films me and my brother and his friends used to make, where we would make references to, like Evil Dead or those kind of movies that we thought were great back then, and um, you know because they were hard to get and they had splatter and gore in them, and I guess that's what these guys are trying to to tip their hat to. Yeah, um, but, but, but they're badly. They did it badly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing in the movie's done well at all. <laughs> no. It says it's a tongue-in-cheek, yeah, it's a cult with the horror film genre. That's the subsequent line, like, oh, it's just a send-up or a tongue-in-cheek with a horror. But it doesn't, it just fails everywhere, you know? It just looks like when they were editing it, the filmmaker realized that it was just a piece of shit and, like, we better remarket this differently. Like, I mean, the cover of it looks like The Mask Control 2. <laughs> we never, never see anything like that in the movie. Yeah, there's another cover with, like, these, like, bikini models screaming as, like a ghoul hand comes out at them and that's also not in the movie either none of those people are, or those monsters are in the movie either so I, you made the point there like the, the protagonist watching the movie kind of reminds you of like you know well you know of us like you and the lads you and me watching bad movies but like I'd like to think we're a bit more likable than those two guys one of them's getting a gun for his birthday how old is he supposed to be in the movie why is he getting a gun yeah, they, they set that up as if he was going to use a gun later on or something. Did, did that happen? I don't remember. He does use a shot. He uses a handgun later on. Okay, well, that's that's probably what that was yeah. for then. Don't know where he gets it from. Don't know where they get it from. Oh, they get it from the police, that's right. The first time I saw this, I think, was in your, your place years ago, and it must have been late at night, and I think there was whiskey involved, so... Alright, so what's next on your list of talking points? Well, Timothy O'Raw is in the movie, 
uh, he, he show, he's got a big part as uh, one of the basketball team when the coach tells him like hey get the ball oh ball. the coach yeah the joke that's him and the sponsor placement all over this movie you know <laughs> Jeff, like Joe Hartling is all over this movie Pizza 46 and Alfano's Pizza are the t-shirts worn by the basketball team oh. very unhealthy supposedly athletes both those businesses did exist by the way oh. Yeah, I do remember one of the main characters is wearing a Joke Man t-shirt the whole way through, isn't he? They both are. They both are. So, um, at one point there is that scene which was really inexplicable to me where it turns out that this guy comes to the school occasionally to like give talks during assembly and he is uh, Joe Franklin. He's, he's some kind of TV presenter from New York. And there's a scene that cuts to him in his office and then this Jackie the Joke Man guy comes in to talk to him about being on his show and literally tells bad jokes for about five or ten minutes straight and it has right. nothing to do with the movie. Now, in your research, did you find out anything about why this is in the movie? Uh, it doesn't say why. Uh, what I'm assuming is that Martling um, probably gave some money to the movie makers uh, and that's why his product is all over the place. And I think he just wanted to show off his jokes because he laughs after he gives every one of his jokes. And in his live stand-up, it's the same thing. He he laughs after every, after every one of his terrible jokes. He laughs that really high-pitched, annoying laugh of his in the movie. It's not put on, it's real. That's what he really does. Like, no, you, he's that annoying. Did you get the feeling that in that scene, he's supposed to be telling terrible jokes, or is that actually what his comedy is like? That's his set list. Like, you're hearing stuff from his set. Why, do, why is he reading them off a page as if he's never heard them before? He wanted, he, probably the idea he had in his head is, all right, guys, this is my scene. I'm going to come in like this young, new comedian that hasn't been around before, and I want to be, you know, I, I want to be noticed by Joe Franklin. But obviously, that, you know, none of that was introduced at all. He doesn't come across as a new comedian. He comes across as some annoying guy in a pub who's always talking to you, <laughs> never leaving you alone. And it's a funny story that's never funny, and it goes on and on and on. Yeah, I. It's very out of place, isn't it? It's hugely out of place. You know, so so is he in general. And there's loads about Martin later on. I'll talk about him a bit. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man, that guy. <laughs> All right. Um, so you looking at looking at the movie, right? You, you know what? The thing about bad movies is one. I almost didn't want to do this one, right? Well, this is supposed to be tongue in cheek. Then I remember those one like. There's nothing that looks obviously funny about it. Like, it was made to be funny. It just looks like a failure all over the place. Some of the acting is over the top. But that, like, covering up poor movie making. You know, when you, when you, when you want this to be, like, a kind of a send-up, you want the script to be good? Yeah. Yeah, good. The director needs to know the genre inside out, really, to be able to send it up properly. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just, just a gore movie. This is just a badly made gore movie. Like, you know? I mean, there's people and monsters. They live through some horrific injuries and died from stupid ones. At right. least I did get the, the impression that it was genuinely made by people who like horror movies, and I think that's probably the nicest thing I could say about this film. Well, they, they didn't... I don't think they took their time with it. Like, if that was the case, then this must have been a very furry shoot, like, you know? It looks like, the, it looks like the first shot was the only shot they used for some of the stuff. Like, some of the, some of the, the limbs being ripped off people... 
you can see the blood packs. They're clearly blood packs. <laughs> and maybe the, the, the director, like, or Rob probably thought, like, or maybe people think this is just muscle pulling away from the body. But Jesus Christ, did my muscle look like that? I'd be going to the doctor for an X-ray. I bet they you only had they only had so many of those bags, and once they you know did a take and popped them, then that was it. Exactly, because look, it all costs money. But really, like, they probably should have gotten the shot right for what it might have been looking pulling away from the thing before attaching those blood bags. But it looks like they stitched them in, and then thought, you know, whoops, we didn't frame the shot. Let's just do it. <laughs> you know. Oh, can we talk about the band? <laughs> Oh, the blood-sucking goose. The blood-sucking goose. <laughs> so my favorite shot in the movie is when it cuts from a guy screaming because he's being eaten by ghouls, and it cuts to, uh, I believe he's called Blade, the, lead, the supposed lead singer of the band, the blood-sucking ghouls, like yep. yelling something on stage, but and his girlfriend then turns up to tell him that he's the best goddamn lead singer in all of New York. But yeah, he doesn't sing. He doesn't sing once. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, mate? Uh, he's playing chords over the lead. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and the drummer doesn't have any cymbals. <laughs> oh, the fake guitar playing is like, it's even worse than like Bill and Ted. <laughs> Blade makes Bill and Ted look like Joe Satriani. I just love it when there's like some scream and lead happening and he's there like chugging on a D chord, like obviously. <laughs> you, know, you know, when I first learned guitar, like, there's a lad used to give me a hard time saying that all I could play was Breakfast Tiffany's. And it looks like that he's really playing the chords that song over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, believe my brother, I believe my brother said that you made every song that you played sound like Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> So yeah, the blood-sucking ghouls. Did you enjoy the scene at the beginning where the, the principal is talking over the intercom and he says something like, you know, and now the, the winner of the Battle of the Bands that happened yesterday, and then he like, he's like, huh, the blood-sucking ghouls? As if he's like, he, he hadn't read it ever before, and he'd never heard of them before, even though they just played, and he's about to let them play at the dance, and it's like, come on. Uh, and who's supposed to vote for them, right? I thought Battle of the Bands is supposed to be like school bands voted for by school kids. And that's how they get through to the final. Yeah. Like, but these guys are like 50 or something. But when these see them. Yeah, and they make, it, they make it clear that they've like come from out of town, like New York or something, and that they're not usually in this town or in this school. Yeah, because I think this movie's set in New Jersey. That's what I'm getting to, getting to think that this is a New Jersey film. Everybody sure talks like they're from New Jersey, you know? Yeah. So how do the kids get from New Jersey to New York? That's not an easy trip to make. Yeah, or did the, like it's clear that the band hasn't been to the school before, so it doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, you know as well the leads from their guitar and the bass is just going into speakers. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> did you like the way they only ever play the same song and it's just like an endless chugging riff with some screaming lead going on and no singing? Yes. And he's, remember, 
you know, oh, how are the guys going to feel about, you know, you take a charge of the band? And it's kind of like hinted at that it's a bit of a sexist thing. And then later on, she says straight up it's a sexist thing, like when they won't let the girl go for help because she might get in trouble. Yeah. I'm a woman, fuck you, right? Now, in between those two exchanges, when, do you remember when they run into, there's a, there's a scene for the people listening to the podcast who haven't seen the movie in Ghoul School, when the protagonist, Stephen Jeff, is about an hour in, they're running for safety with the basketball coach and they run into the auditorium and they pull the doors open to run into the auditorium and then they try and press themselves up against the doors which pulled out to stop the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic bad movie mistake. <laughs> it's a two-way door though, right? It's a two-way door. Uh, so the, um, the, the, band, the band goes up to help them keep this door shut. Uh, and, like, if you push up against that door, you'd fall through it because it fucking opens it out, right? Anyway, um, the Roxy storms up to the door, and the two women on the stage are going, what's she doing? Oh, where's Roxy going? And then the, the lady says, she's taking charge. And then she just goes up and helps them hold the door, which opens out. <laughs> she doesn't take charge later on when she decides, fuck you, this is sexist shit, right? I'm going to go there and get help. And, and then she takes Yeah, she actually she takes charge then. But nobody says it. Yeah. Nobody says it then. <laughs> what did you think of the endless scenes of the basketball team practicing? Oh, none of them got it in the basket. <laughs> the basketball team ever. And they fucking way too much pizza. Alfano's Pizza and Pizza 46 sponsored them. <laughs> 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 Those guys should not be eating that much pizza if they play basketball. Yeah. What did you make of the very... Oh, spoilers, by the way, but what did you make of the very last scene? It it, set, it it seemed like a like a like a like a homage to uh, the Night of the Living Dead in '68. Yes, it, it reminded me of the end of Return of the Living Dead, which is an, an an '80s movie about zombies that has a lot of punk rock on the soundtrack and a very kind of a punk aesthetic. And this movie reminded me of that quite a lot, actually. Uh, in what way for the end scene? Um, because. Spoilers again, but that movie ends with, you know, the whole town and potentially the whole country being taken over by the the, the stuff that causes the zombies to, to appear. And the end of Ghoul School, even though they don't show anything, is kind of going in the same direction, but with absolutely no money. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. I haven't seen um, that one. I've seen The Night of the Dead, the old one, 68. And, yeah. like, at the end, they survived, like... If anyone who hasn't seen the 68 movie Night of the Living Dead, um, uh, spoilers. <laughs> uh, but the protagonist survives to the end. Um, I can't remember the, the protagonist's name. Um, oh, I think his name's Tim or something in the movie. Anyway, he survives to the end, only to be taken out by mistake by other survivors. He survives the night in the house. And these guys survive the gauntlet. Only to be, uh, like, it sounds like they're being gunned down outside by perhaps what's supposed to be the police because the cop car goes looking for what's wrong with the school. And I'm assuming when they get up, when the base doesn't hear back from them, they send more cops. But they, it sounds like they get shot at the end, you know? Yeah. So, it's not going out so much in a blaze of glory like <laughs> a western, but it feels a bit like that. It kind of reminded me a bit like the Night of the Living Dead at the end. They survived, but they didn't really survive. And they would never would have because, like you said, Return of the Living Dead or whatever it is. Um, the town has been taken over. Yeah. Um, what kind of janitor is in a high school? 
Yeah, and he lo- he looks about 17. Yeah, why is that? What, what's the story there? I don't think that they would have a janitor living in a, like, just, you know, uh, a high school in in a city or in a town like that, you know? I can think of a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want your janitor to live in your high school. Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's very weird. And why would they think he has treasure? If he had treasure, why would he be a janitor living in, in the high school? Never mind the treasure. Why does he have zombie gas in his basement? <laughs> no, in his secret room. What is all that about? <laughs> so anyway, Those two thugs have some nonsense. This is one of the reasons I have an issue with it, right? I think if you're going to send up a movie or make some, some movie like that, you know, where you're trying to be a bit tongue-in-cheek, you want to make sure your writing is good, yeah? Because the whole draw to a movie yeah, is really based on your script, isn't it? But didn't you enjoy like the, you the chlorine joke? The chlorine joke is dreadful, but there's way, more, there's way worse lines than that. The, the entrance, the line, the, the chlorine joke, you, you remember, it's in the... The swim team scene. Uh, and then it just goes on, just goes on and on and on. I think we better explain that one. The, the first time someone notices that the swim team have turned into zombies, he says something like, they're putting too much chlorine into the water. And then characters keep saying this throughout the movie. And I don't know, maybe it gets funnier if you say it more often. But I, I didn't think so. No, no, it wasn't funny the first time. And it sure as shit wasn't funny the second time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, like, I think that in the whole pull for any kind of funding or any actors who want to be in the project goes on the script. That is, first and foremost, your your thing. Do we have time for me to tell a quick, just a quick example, right? We always have time. You know, you know who James Mangold is? I don't. James Mangold directed, wrote and directed a movie called Copland. It came out in the 7. Stars Sylvester Stallone, Ray Liotta, and De Niro. It's about um, a, a former city cop who is now a sheriff in a local town uh, who has to deal with the corrupt city cops, yeah? Yeah. And, uh, he goes head-to-head with them in the end, right? Now, it wasn't... This is the 90s that Sylvester Stallone is still making kind of big, big-ish stuff. You know, um, it was a few years maybe after stopping my mom would shoot. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which may appear on this podcast sometime. <laughs> but James Mangle came... To LA with just the script. He didn't have a penny to his name, didn't know how he'd fund it, but he started approaching studios and Stallone got wind of the script. Now, Stallone's a huge ego, has been since, you know, the 70s, right? Stallone knows the things through about writing, yeah, because he's written Rocky uh, and he, he's played it. So sometimes he knows one or two things about acting, right? And he begs to be in the script. And James Mangold, who didn't have a penny to his name, met with Stallone and said, I didn't want you to be in it because I think your ego was too big. And Stallone said, I'll do whatever you want but I need to be in this movie. He put 30 pounds of just fat on to be in the movie, so he'd come across like a dumpy cop in the backwaters. Yeah? And he did everything that Mangold wanted, and he helped uh, promote the movie at Cannes and all that. Right? And that, that's that's the power of a good script. This script somehow drew Jackie Markling, a bunch of actors, <laughs> and some kind of funding. Right? There's one part in the script... And Joe Franklin. This... Sorry? And Joe Franklin, don't forget... And Joe Franklin, right? But uh, Joe Franklin's a bit more of a gentler soul, perhaps, than Madeline. Uh, I think he's kind of do, do, do it. Uh, but the two, you know, those two folks, like the two douchebags who come to the school to break in, they have the, the dialogue, like, one guy says to the other one, like, oh, you know, how come you never graduated from this shithole? And the other guy's like, oh, you know, the, the jerk-off principal is jerking off over the intercom there, just, uh, you know, he fucked me over. And then your man says, 
said, I have to reroute this place, you'll have enough to buy your fucking diploma. He says, yeah, it'd be really easy to steal this bike, huh? <laughs> what? Yeah, I remember being confused by that, because isn't that the other guy's bike? Like, what's that got to do with anything? It doesn't make any sense, and there's another line later on, when they say, what's going, you know, the band asks Stephen Jeff, what's going on? Oh, I, I sure like to know. What, you mean you don't know? What? He just told you he doesn't know. And somehow this movie got funded. I don't believe it was kidding? funded a whole lot. I mean, it looks really cheap, although looking at IMDb, there was quite a lot of people... So, <laughs> here's a couple of points in the movie that I find uh, a bit hard to believe. Uh, I, I hope anyone who's been listening to the podcast thus far, uh, trust me, our podcast is as entertaining as this movie. <laughs> you need to watch it. Uh, uh, there's a couple of couple of points that we haven't if we haven't covered already. Uh, I, I put them down here. Um, let's see. We talked about Joe Franklin's New York office scene and Jackie Martin improv, which is just horrible. What about that blonde wig the swim coach wears? That huh? <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and the zombie who gets inexplicably electrocuted by the TV. Remember when he grabbed yeah. the TV, was showing the bad movie. Yeah. Who just gets electrocuted by it. That's just another example of death for the sake of death. There's no, no point in that. No, I, I kept know. expecting, like, later on they would find out that electricity is, like, a, a really good way to kill the zombies, but nothing nothing comes of it. Chekhov, you know the Chekhov's gun thing? Chekhov yeah. is a Russian playwright, and he, he yeah, Chekhov, ha- yeah. had this idea that if, if there were pistols above the fireplace in the first scene, then they ought to be fired during the last scene, you know, so that everything in a, in a well-written story, everything is there for a reason. And therefore, if the mo- if a movie takes the time to direct your attention to something, like the fact that the zombies can be destroyed by electricity, then it ought to come in useful somewhere later on. But kind of like The Room, this movie introduces things and then like loses interest in them and doesn't come back to them. Right, and we've seen that before with The Room. Hey, everybody, we're expecting. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not expecting. <laughs> yeah. I got I definitely have breast cancer. Hold on, I'm fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, not quite on that level, but just careless stuff, you know? Yeah, it is. and that, But that's a classic example of just bad, you know? Whatever about sending anything up, if, if your writing is intentionally bad, people aren't going to want to watch it, you know? Because you're, if you try to intentionally write something awful and bad, people are going to turn up. Because this is a 72-minute movie, right? And we've watched through, we, we've had to sit through it twice. <laughs> Only because we know. We know the score now. <laughs> yeah. But for anyone else who's watching this, or getting, maybe getting into bad movies, like, you know, the, the whole beauty is that the people who are making it think that they've made something really good. And they haven't, you know. Uh, and I think, well, maybe looking at a bad movie that's trying to be a send-up of a bad movie, or claiming it is, uh, you need to look at it a little bit more in depth, like you know. And I think the writing stands out as a big pointer. That, you know, clearly you wanted this to be on some level kind of successful. Your, your writing just doesn't save this at all. But that's my thought. I mean, especially when you're doing something low budget, so much depends on the writing and and the initial idea being clever. And I mean, maybe in the late '80s it was still. I'm fresh enough of an idea to like do a horror spoof or, or you know imitate 80s zombie movies but even then you know they've been Fright Night and yeah. stuff like that it had been done well I think sometimes I think like oh is it just a product of its time and then I think 
other movies of the time did it way better. Movies before the time, you know, did way better. But Evil Dead 2 came out like a few years after that movie and it did it so much better. That sends up itself, you know. That had quite a bigger budget, though. I think we, we need to compare like with like and, you know, these... It's probably a few horror fans, you know, with no sets and a bit of gore and enthusiasm setting out to do something and you know, I can respect that, I guess. Well with the just with the Evil Dead too, the writing was still done. Like on the same quality of paper I'm assuming it as Goosco was done on like just, just looking at the writing for instance like that script like Evil Dead Two is great, really well written. You know, some great lines in that movie. <laughs> Before anything comes into it, like, you know, because that script has to secure a budget. And you bring in the name to secure it, you bring in whatever. It looks like these guys did it backwards. They just produced this schlock to Markling, who, who obviously said, yeah, I'll fund it if you put my stuff all over the place. Yeah. And you can see by his jokes, obviously, he doesn't... <laughs> he's not really funny. Oh, wasn't anyway, you know. So what was he doing at that time? What was he known for? So, like, Markling's been around for years, okay? He's a New York... Um, he's like a, a New York comedian. Um, he's he's been around for a long time. Um, he's most famous for being on the Howard Stern show for years, right? He was he, he was one of the co-presenters in the Howard Stern show until he just quit. Uh, and he also wrote for Stern. And people agreed. Some people agreed like that Howard Stern was really strong when Marilyn was writing for him. Yeah. And when Marilyn was on his own, he wasn't so good. But he still wrote like he wrote a lot of stuff. Start. He was on the Stern show for years, yeah. And in between this, he was doing, he was doing his own uh, stand-up comedy shows. And like, there's there's one comedy show he he did, and it's called The Rascals Comedy Hour, which is in the back of um, uh, one of the protagonist's T-shirt. I don't know which one Jeff, who, who Jeff is and who Steve is. I, I never actually <laughs> uh, could figure it out. The guy in the blue T-shirt, he's wearing Rascals Comedy Hour. He's got Rascals Comedy Hour prints in the back of his T-shirt. And that, um, uh, that is the stand-up place where Martling was. And 1991, Martling did a set, uh, or a stand-up show, and all that crap that you see in the movie is on sale behind Martling when he's doing stand-up. Oh, no. Shirts, mugs, stickers. Oh, right? well, I'll that's take them all. That, that, I mean, that's how I know that movies, they gave an indication that this movie was actually made in late 89 or 90 or whatever, because that show, that, that show took place in 91, oh. a bit of a stuff. And did you pay attention to um, the t-shirts at all? Not, well, not besides that one, no. What, what else was there? So, on the back of one of the t-shirts was, I use my finger, X-rated joke line, right, 922 wine, for a Jackie Martin Jackie Martin phone line. And oh. it's real. What? Like you call him up and he tells no, you dirty you call, jokes? You call up this phone line and it gives you a joke. Um, a joke of the day. And this phone line has been going since this is set up in 1979. Right? And do you know how I know it still exists? You called, I it? called it last night. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast, I'm about to call it right now and we're going to hear a Martin joke probably from 79. <laughs> what, what, what is this going to cost you? This is going to be <clears throat> our most expensive podcast ever. Can you oh, hear that? Yeah, I hear that. A guy's going on a business trip. He's got to bring his secretary with him, and she's really got the hot for 
Oh, that was definitely him, yeah. Yeah, and that joke line has been running, right? That same line has been running since '79. And you know, <laughs> you know, when I caught it last night, I got the same jokes played back at me, the same ones you just heard. Funny, <laughs> and our five listeners. <laughs> but to hear the Jackie, uh, the Jackie Martin phone line. All right. Well, I'm almost out of time on this, so I think we better wrap up by giving some recommendations. Uh, which uh, I like to do at the end. I'd like to just give a hats off to Joe Franklin who appears in the movie. Joe Franklin is a veteran of New York television, or was, he's dead now. He was, he, he racked over 300,000 interviews between 1950 and 1993. This guy interviewed Chaplin and Crosby and the Ramones and everything like that. And But he still gave his time quite freely uh, to people who, um, who would organize a meeting with him in his office. You know, and there's videos on YouTube of him doing that. So that's why he would probably agree to be in this movie. He was very for New York. He loved his city. Uh, and like the New Jersey governor at the time, uh, in like 1993, Jim Florio, he proclaimed, he, he proclaimed August 9th, Joe Franklin Day. How well, amazing is that? That scene seems a little bit less uh, without context then. Yeah, well, this guy would do, I mean, I think Franklin would do anything for anyone. Like, you know, he, he would never leave New York. He was there. He, he lived at 88. And he was always there. He, his, his whole life was based in New York. Um, and like I said, he get 43 years, you know, between radio and TV. That's a long time, like, jeez. Okay. Yeah. Do, you yeah. have, do you have a recommendation? Oh, recommendations. Aquanoids. Oh, I've seen Aquanoids. Oh, you haven't. <laughs> uh, the Attendant. Uh, what church? Maniacal, or Maniacal, even. <laughs> the Zombie Chronicles. And on another, uh, uh, here, here's another one, not related to horror, but still a shitty movie. Pocket Ninjas. Oh, Pocket Ninjas. So are those other movies uh, from the same company that made Ghoul School? No, just the same genre. Okay. Well, uh, if I had to recommend something, if you liked uh, Ghoul School because you really genuinely thought that it was a send-up of horror movies... Um, for a, an actually good send-up of horror movies, I really liked Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Bro. Yeah, I thought that was a, a pretty clever uh, take on the kind of people who watch horror movies and why we do it and what the, the tropes are. So I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. Yep. Not, it's not really fair to compare movies that have budgets like that with movies like Ghost School. It's not exactly the same thing, but it you know since you were talking about it, that's what came into my head. Well, you say that... Um... Like, look at the scary movies. They had a big budget, and they were written terribly enough. That's true. They really were. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, like, in, just in short, like, too long, did not listen. <laughs> terribly <laughs> written movie by some wannabe horror director who was just an F-grade splatter director. Writing's lazy, acting awful, editing sloppy. <laughs> and anyone who says, ah, it's tongue-in-cheek, and send up with these kind of movies, don't. No excuse. Don't. You want to watch that thing done, like, done really well. Take a look at Cabin in the Woods. You're next, Housebound, Brain Dead, Evil Dead 2. You know, fuck it, I'll take the scary movies over this. <laughs> I, I'd say it's more like a chronic plague, but they have a cure for that now. So, 
Avoid like the 80s movie remakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't wait to find out what we're going to be watching next week. I think we should do Pocket Ninjas. Pocket Ninjas. <laughs> I may have to look into that. It's, it's, it's got a great title. Robert Zahar is starring in it. He started all the shitty movies in the 80s and 90s. Okay, signing out. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bang, bang.